0: Welcome, everybody, to episode number seven of the Flannel Panel Conjugate Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Surratt, and on today's episode, we're going to do another off-the-cuff live video where we're going to talk about what it takes to be a strength coach, specifically at the collegiate level. Um, this may get a little bit rambling and a little bit tangential, as do all of my podcasts and my episodes, but fuck it. I don't really care. It's my my show, and it's my world, and you guys just live in it, right? Anyway, um, so starting off, getting into strength and conditioning, first you got to know what the fuck the field actually is. Um, and by what I, what I mean by that is that when I was in college, I played lacrosse, but I had absolutely no idea that strength and conditioning existed as a profession. And the reason for that is I went to a private D3 school. Uh, a little bougie, I know. Um, so I went to a private D3 school. I played club lacrosse, so we were not a varsity program, so we did not have access to the athletic trainers or anything within the athletic department, um, much to our chagrin. But now being involved in varsity or in NCAA uh Strength and conditioning or NCAA athletics, I understand. Like, I get why you can't have, um, I get why you can't have club teams in the athletic training room or you can't have club teams in the weight room and all that kind of stuff, is insurance doesn't cover it. You know, the university's insurance doesn't cover non NCAA athletes that are participating in NCAA funded or covered, um, facilities. So I get it now. In the, at that time, when I was in college, I didn't get it. But anyway, what I'm getting at is, you have to know that the profession actually exists. So that's your first step. Know that the profession exists. Um, if you are a, if you're a collegiate athlete, chances are, like unless you're at a really small school and you don't have access to a strength and conditioning coach, chances are you know that strength and conditioning exists because you're part of the program. You are going through workouts, you're going through training sessions, and you're getting to know your strength and conditioning coach or your strength and conditioning coach is. So if you're an athlete, you're already off to a good start because, again, you know what the profession is. You know that it actually exists. You may not know what it actually entails and what it takes to be a strength coach or what it means to be a strength coach. But at least you know that the profession exists. So when I was in college, again, I played lacrosse. We were a club team. I had no idea that this profession existed. Like I was a creative writing major. Um, I thought I was going to write the world's next great novel or, you know, book of poetry or, you know, whatever. Um, But that never happened So I had to do something else So I graduated college And um, During my time at school At college I had come across EliteFTS.com um, Sort of through a circuitous and Backwards route like I found a video of Mark Bell doing like a Like a, a wrist wrap tutorial And that just led me down the rabbit hole And I got involved in powerlifting And fell in love with powerlifting And um through that, through finally FTS, like I found their old coaching logs, you know, their old like, um, they, you know, they sponsor lifters, they sponsor coaches and the coaches would, or these coaches and these lifters, these athletes, if you can call them that, would post their training, post their training logs. And I came across a guy named Jeremy Frey, who at the time was, I don't know if he was a world champion, but he went on to be a world champion and I think either the 242 or the 275 multiply class. And started following him. um, And at some point after graduation, an internship opportunity became available at the school that Jeremy worked at. And so again, not understanding really what strength and conditioning was, but knowing that it was something that I wanted to get into and what I mean by that is that, like, by this time, I'd kn- like, I knew that the profession existed. Like, I knew that it was something that people did and that strength coaches existed. But I didn't know anything about the profession. I didn't know what it entailed or what it took to be a strength coach or the procedures that you had to go through or the certifications that you had to get. Like, I didn't know any of that. Um, but I knew that it was something I wanted to get into because it, it married my love of powerlifting and my desire to be a coach. Like playing lacrosse, I thought I, was, I thought I wanted to be a lacrosse coach, but that didn't pan out. And I'm bouncing around a little bit here, so if you start getting lost, like don't worry about it. My life is fucked up. Um, <laughs> it's a mess. It was a mess. It's not a mess anymore. But uh, but anyway, so an internship opportunity became available at Missouri State University, which is where Jeremy Frey was the associate director. And so just on a whim, because I was doing nothing else with my life, I applied and i got the job because it was a volunteer position it was absolutely free there was nothing like okay? there was no stipend there was no living allowance no no nothing it was completely free volunteer slave labor and and i moved i moved from montana where i'm from so i moved from montana down to missouri i flew to missouri because the internship started like in the spring semester so that'd be like January and there was no way that I was gonna be able to make the drive from Montana to Missouri through the heart of the U.S. like during winter. So I flew to Missouri and I got a room in a house off Craigslist and didn't know these people. I knew, I knew no one in the entirety of the state. I didn't know a single soul in the whole state. And so I, I got this room off Craigslist with some people who I didn't know and I won't get into that because it's wild and wacky in and of itself, but I didn't last very long in that house. Um I was there for about a month before I moved out and got my own place for a host of reasons. And if you're interested, DM me, and I can tell you those stories. Um, but so I started my internship and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Like I thought I knew what I was doing. and and like the moment where I learned that I had no fucking clue what it was that I was doing, was when I was given homework for the first time. Jeremy Frey, I'll just call him Frey from now on. Frey, when I first started, Frey turned to me one day and he printed out the sheet of paper and he handed it to me. and He goes, here's your homework. Have this ready for me as soon as possible. And it was a scenario of, like a strength and conditioning scenario. It was men's soccer, like they had just finished their season, so they're in their postseason. And basically it was like this open-ended question of what do you do? And I was like, Oh yeah, I got this. Like no problem. Like I've been programming for myself and I had done a little bit of programming for some friends. And like, I thought I knew what I was doing and I thought I had a handle on it. But as soon as I sat down to like actually do this assignment, I realized I had absolutely no clue. I was completely lost. Like I remember Googling postseason soccer workouts and, you know, just like drawing this complete blank on what it was that I was going to do. Like, You know, it was paralysis by analysis or performance anxiety, like all these, you know, whatever you want to call it. It was, I was just frozen. And so over the next couple of days, like I managed to, you know, slap some shit together and I still have the program somewhere. Um, But I printed it out and I turned it into him. And I remember he's sitting at his desk and he's looking at my program and he crumples it up and he throws in the garbage. And he turns to me and he says, if you put something on your resume, make sure it's the truth. And what he meant by that was that I had put that I had programming experience on my resume. And to be fair, I thought I did. But as I just explained, like I clearly did not. And so that was like the real moment where my eyes were opened that I had a lot to learn Um, that there was a lot a lot for me to learn about what it meant to be a strength and conditioning coach and what it meant to program and how to program and all that stuff so so where i'm going with all this is that the first the second step after knowing that the profession even exists the second step is securing an internship and 9.9 times out of 10 you're going to work for free Interns, unless you end up at like a big program that has a lot of money, like, and you end up working with the football program or like the basketball program, you know, teams that have programs that have big budgets and can afford to pay interns, you're probably not going to make any money whatsoever. You're probably going to you're going to lose money. You're going to be paying to work essentially because you're going to be paying rent or you're going to be going to school. And most of the time, internships are done like during your undergrad. Um, I was a unique, probably not unique, but I was a, a different kind of case because I. I did mine well after I graduated. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do upon graduation from my undergrad. So this was a, you know, this was part of the process, part of the exploration. And uh, so, yeah, you got to do an internship, expect to work for free. And if you really do it right, and if you really like adhere to it, and if you really put your, put everything you have into it, expect to work long hours, you know, like obviously as an intern, there's only so many hours that you can work or only so many hours that you're actually going to be able to work like if you're going to school or if you have a job like you know and most most strength conditioning coaches most programs are pretty chill about you know working with you on your schedule um you know i mean i know that like they were chill with me and you know when i had to go take care of stuff like i was allowed to leave and go take care of things so it's not like you're You know, it's not like you're actual slave laborer. It's not like you're stuck there for 24 hours a day. But don't, you know, don't be surprised if you're working long hours, if you got to be there early, because strength, strength, conditioning coaches are always the first one in the building. You know, I get to work at like 5, 530 in the morning. And currently I'm there until like 530, 6 p.m. every day. And so do your internship. And when you're interning, it really pays off to put as much of yourself into it as possible and open your eyes, open your ears and shut your mouth except to ask questions. Like as an intern, frankly, your opinion is invalid and it's unnecessary and it's unwanted in a lot of cases. And that's not that's not coming from a place of being a dick. It's just coming from a place of you don't know anything. And that's where I was. Like I said, you know, a couple times I said something to Frey and he made it very clear that my opinion was just not not necessary. And that if he really wanted it, he would ask me for it. But I didn't I was not in a position of authority, nor I was nor was I in a position of expertise where I knew what I was talking about well enough to offer any sort of valid or poignant opinion. So so yeah, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, listen and pay attention to everything. Absorb as much as you can and be a sponge. You know, absorb every little piece of information that you can because you never know you never know where you're going to end up and that's going to, you know, that's something I can talk about a little bit further down the road, but, um, but you never know where you're going to end up. Like you never know what kind of program you're going to end up in. So like at Oakland where I work, we run a conjugate based program. When I was at Missouri state doing my internship, we ran an Olympic based program and I taught myself conjugate, you know, but I had to learn how to coach the Olympic lifts. When I was at Missouri state, I had to learn, You know what it meant to program in a periodized you know pseudo linear fashion you know so you never know and you never know where you're going to end up you never know who you're going to end up working for or working with or what kind of system you're going to be a part of so it behooves you and it pays off to learn as much as you can about every little aspect of training um and don't be surprised if you get given the shitty jobs like as an intern one of our duties was to stock the milk fridge every week. And that's not a big deal, you know, like it takes 20 minutes to do it, but it was still something that we had to do. You know, we were responsible for cleaning and wiping stuff down and picking things up, like and and the reason that interns are given those jobs is not because coaches not time not because full-time coaches want want to make interns do the shitty work, but it's one of those things where you're demonstrating that you're capable of doing simple things. Like if you can't show up on time, if you can't do what's asked of you, if you can't perform a simple duty like wiping down a machine or wiping down a bench after a kid is done using it, or you know, you can't follow just a simple direction, like how are you gonna be able to do something complex? Like how are you gonna be able to stand on your own two feet and act autonomously when you have to? You know, if you can't do the simple things, how are you gonna do the, the complicated things? So so again, don't be surprised if you end up doing the shitty jobs. Cleaning, organizing, stocking, distributing stuff. Like if you work at a program that has, you know, nutrition, like post-workout nutrition that gets handed out, like don't be surprised if you're the one that hands that shit out or has to restock it or clean up, like, you know, but, but humble yourself at the same time. Don't be afraid to do that kind of stuff because again, when you're interning, you may not realize it, but you're interviewing for a job. And whether it's a job with that particular program or interviewing with Interviewing for a job with a different program via a reference from the program you're working for, like you're you're interviewing. It's a live on your feet, thrown into the fire type interview, and you know that was something that I didn't really take into consideration. Like it was just something that I was doing. Like I didn't think about the next the next step. You know, I didn't think about the next part of the process, which is ultimately like doing a graduate assistantship. Um. You know, it was just this this thing that i was doing at the time just to give myself some purpose in life. you know, i wasn't making any money. my grandma was supporting me like through her, you know, through her estate. she was paying for my rent and like giving me a living allowance. so like i had a pretty i had it pretty easy to be honest. um but you got to you got to think forward. you got to think ahead and think about what's coming at you and like where you want to be. and so after you do your internship Typically, you know, again, if you're in school, it'll last for a year, maybe two years, depending on how long you do it for or how long you need to do it for. Like some, some academic programs require that you do an internship for X amount of hours. And it may take you, you know, a couple years to get all those hours, depending upon, you know, what your schedule's is like. Um, but after your internship, you do your graduate assistantship or your GA for short. And the GA is just the next step and it's where you, basically you're getting your master's degree, you're getting paid a little bit and typically you get your degree paid for. Um, You get like either a tuition waiver or a tuition reimbursement, but you're getting school paid for which is awesome because nobody wants graduate student debt on top of undergraduate student debt. And so as a GA, you're given a little more responsibility And again, it's one of those things where the level of responsibility that you have is dictated by, one, your experience, two, your knowledge, and three, your ability to apply yourself autonomously. So when I was a GA, so my – there was a – how do I say this? There was a length of time, a period of time between when I did my graduate – or between when I did my internship and my GA, and the reason for that was because I didn't feel qualified to take the next step. Like, I was, a, I was an English major. I had a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Like, I felt woefully unqualified, not even underqualified, woefully unqualified to work as a graduate assistant and to attend a master's program in, like, kinesiology or exercise science, you know. And so I put it off and put it off and put it off. And I did, you know, private sports performance for a while, and that worked out pretty well. I really liked doing that. It just just wasn't consistent enough, nor did it pay enough to, like, make it a long-term thing. At least not from, like, a, not from an instructor perspective. From an owner perspective, like, the company was doing really well, I think. But from an instructor perspective, like, I was only making hourly wage, and I was only working a few hours a week, so it just wasn't, you know, wasn't paying the bills the way I needed it to. You know, and I bounced, and I did some other odd jobs here and there, and It finally got to the point where I was just spinning my wheels and I wasn't doing anything. And my girlfriend at the time basically, you know, like gave me a proverbial slap in the face and was like, get your shit together. And go back to school, get another undergraduate degree in exercise science and then go get your master's and get your career going. Like she knew where she was headed. She was going to be a nurse. So she knew the direction that she was taking her life. And I think she needed me to follow suit. And so at her suggestion, at her very strong suggestion, I enrolled or I applied to Missouri State University. Um, and I you know, was accepted, so I enrolled and I started taking classes. And um, I had to take you know, the bullshit gen, ed's, gen ed classes because my liberal arts degree did not satisfy a number of the demands that they had at Missouri State University so I had to take like public speaking and you know world history or American history you know take the bullshit classes that nobody wants to pay for because they're not relevant to the to the degree that you're pursuing you know and like I felt very out of place because I was here, here I was this adult student and you know not that I was the only adult student in my program or in my classes but you know I felt very much out of place and during my undergraduate studies, my second round of undergrad studies, I ran into the strength conditioning coach, Frey, um, who had at that point been promoted to the director. And he basically was like, what are you doing with your life? Like, what? Do you, why are you here? What are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going back to school and I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to you know, become a strength coach. And he goes, well, you need to come intern. Like you need experience. Like that's going to be the determining factor in you getting a job is the amount of, amount of experience you have. And so... I came back, and I interned again, and so I'd go to classes, and then I'd go do my internship, and that was just the life I lived, and I bounced and bartended and whatnot on the weekends, and you know, just got by, and I think I did my undergraduate studies for a year and a half, maybe two years, and then um a graduate assistantship position became available, which was the first time a GA position had become had been made available at Missouri State, at least within strength and conditioning. So, so this GA position became available and Frey offered it to me, you know, upon you know, predicated upon the assumption that I would get into grad school. And so fortunately I had developed a really good relationship with the director of one of the programs, like one of the master's programs at Missouri State. And I'd had her for a couple undergrad classes and had done really well in her classes and really got to know her pretty well. And so when it came time for me to apply, like I approached her and I said, hey, like, you know, I don't really have all the requirements that I need for this program, you know, but it would really really be great if I could get into it you know, and I feel like I'm capable of handling the workload and capable of handling the course material and all that kind of stuff. And and basically, she just took care of it for me. Um, and that that's a testament to, you know, the importance of forging relationships. And that's something I can talk about later in this episode. But, you know, when it comes to when it comes to this job, when it comes to any job, but strength and conditioning in particular, just because there are so many applicants out there, and there are so few positions available, it is it is vitally important very very vitally important that you establish strong connections with people make friends make allies and don't make enemies out of anybody because you never know who may end up hiring who or who may end up talking to who or what you know what could happen with anyone um so it's very important that you network and that you connect and that's something i'm really bad at Like, I'm not a great networker and I'm not a great connector. Like, I can talk to people and I can establish friendships and relationships with people, but like, when it comes to professional networking, I'm fucking trash. So, anyway, I did my GA. Um, I was there for two years, did my GA, got my master's degree, and loved it and like knew that I was headed in the right direction. So, step one, know what the profession is. Step two, do an internship. Step three, get a graduate assistantship. Now, I was really lucky in that a GA position became available at the school that I was already at. I didn't have to move for a GA. I didn't have to go anywhere for a GA. That's not always the case. Sometimes that's the case, where you intern in one place and then a GA position becomes available. You know, whether one GA graduates out or a position becomes like it gets created. Whatever the case may be, you know, you you may not have to move anywhere, but don't expect that as a GA that you're just going to be able to stay where you're at. Like you may have to move. You know, and that's that's part and parcel to being a strength coach, in my opinion, is that like, you know, you have to be willing to uproot your life, you know, at basically a moment's notice and move across the country or move to a different state, you know, or depend on what your level of profession is, move to a different country. You know, um, so, yeah, know the profession, do an internship and then do your GA. And while you're doing your GA, again, learn as much as you can. Be a sponge. Keep your eyes open. Ask questions all the time. And I was in a situation where I was basically turned loose. And I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. You know, there was oversight. And there was, you know, some rules and guidelines by which I had to operate and adhere to and operate within and all that kind of stuff. But I was basically given carte blanche to do what I wanted as long as I didn't get anybody hurt and didn't do anything stupid. And at first I was like what in the world like what do I do? How do I do this? You know, but I had But I just had to trust myself. I had experience. I'd been programming. I'd been coaching. I knew what I was doing you know, and so I You know made my way for a while and then I came across conjugate and that just solved everything like it You know the system just made sense to me and the method just made sense to me and I adopted it and applied it and it worked great Um, You know, but as a GA, you're going to get more responsibility. You're going to get lots of experience. You're going to be there full time because essentially a GA is a a job. And, you know, you're going to be there early in the morning. You're going to be there late at night. Like, yes, you have classes and classes come first, in my opinion. So, like, you got to take care of your academic stuff. But, you know, don't be surprised if you're there you know 10 to 12 hours a day and then have to go to class on top of that like that's what I did I was at missouri state. I was in by five thirty in the morning And I would be there all day up until you know 5 or 6 p.m And then i'd go to class and i'd be in class until eight thirty, nine o'clock at night So i'd be there for you know 17 hours Sometimes and then you get home and all of a sudden it's like well shit, you know I don't like I have to go right to bed. Like I don't have any time to do anything else but being a ga is fun like you know, yeah, sometimes you got to do shitty work and sometimes you get hand, you get handed tasks and teams that you don't want, you know, but, but you got to think about it from the perspective of like, I'm getting to do what I want to do, like I'm getting to coach, I'm getting paid to do this. It's not, gonna, you're not getting paid a lot, but you're getting paid and you're getting your school paid for, which is huge. So you do your GA for a couple years and then as you start getting ready to graduate, Um, You start looking for jobs because there's going to be that transitional period between graduation and between the next step in your life where you have to find something to bridge the gap. And so when I was getting ready to graduate, I started looking for jobs everywhere. And that's one piece of advice. You know, if I can offer any like apply to every open position, you know, unless it's something that, you know, 100 percent that you do not want to do and would not be happy in apply to every position because you're going to have to. Because strength and conditioning, just like every job, is, a, is a, a position or is a field that is dependent upon who you know. And a lot of times it's, you know, a strength coach can get hired because they know a sport coach at that school or because they know the athletic director or they know another strength coach at a school, you know, or they know somebody who knows somebody who works at the school that you're applying to. You know, but you're going to have to apply multiple, multiple places and you're going to get rejected from most of them. You know, either you're going to get rejected or you're not even going to get an answer back. Like, I can't tell you how many places I applied to and just didn't hear anything back. Not even like a, you know, thank you, we've gone a different direction or thank you, you know, your qualifications don't meet our expectations or our minimum requirements, you know, whatever. Like, I, I just got absolutely nothing back. And it's absolutely disheartening when that happens like cuz you've at this point if you've done a GA and you've done an internship you've probably done at least 3 or 4 years of close to full-time work you know for very little pay for far from full-time pay you know and you've got experience and you're still very raw and still very fresh and you still have lots and lots to learn you know but you've put in the time and you've put in the work and you've done you've done the shit you know and It's disheartening when you don't get anything back. It's disheartening when you get rejected. But it's nothing personal. Like, you can't take it personal. It's like, you know, the university is going to make whatever school you're applying to, you know, either already has someone in mind and they're just legally required to post the job or, you know, or they just made a different decision. Like, it's not personal. And the first time that I got rejected, like, so not the first time I got rejected, but The first time that I interviewed for a job and then got rejected, that I took personal. And that was really hard for me. Um, There was a school, I can't remember what school it is anymore or where it is. Like it was some small D2 program. And they were hiring, like they had just started like a dedicated formal strength and conditioning program. And they were looking for one person to run the whole thing To train all the teams and be the director for like the sum total of like, you know, less than $30,000 a year for a nine month appointment. Um, You know, but at the time I was like, I didn't care. Like it was going to be any, any job I could get, I was going to take. How do I feel the job market is right now for trainers at your level and similar? Um, So Instagram question that just came in to sort of derail. How do I feel the job market is right now for trainers at my level and similar? Um, I feel like it hasn't changed a whole lot, to be honest. Like I still feel it's really saturated with applicants. Um, There's a lot of people who want to do strength conditioning. And like, I think that's great. You know, strength conditioning as a profession and as an industry has boomed. Like, you know, every school has a dedicated strength conditioning program. Every university has one. You know, and everybody needs a coach. So I think it's fantastic that strength and conditioning is becoming so popular and becoming so mainstream. Um, But in that same regard, or on the other hand, I guess, whatever you want to call it, um, with with more opportunities come more applicants. And I feel that the job market, again, is very saturated. There's a shit ton of people who want to be strength and conditioning coaches. A shit-ton and not everybody's gonna get it um, so it's one of those things where you have to, when you get a job you hold on to it and that doesn't mean you have to stay there forever it doesn't mean you have to be in that one place for the rest of your career or the entirety of your career but you hold on to it and you do what you got to do to make sure that you keep your job because you know while it's easy to look for a job while you have a job you may not have a job next year you know my contract is annual And, you know, I may not get renewed, you know, for whatever reason, budgetary issues, you know, especially with covid, you know, like there's always that chance. So. So, yeah, really saturated market. Um, And you have to that's where that's kind of what I was talking about is that knowing somebody is really, really important because that's how I got this job was I knew the director. He and I had worked together at Missouri State. Like when I was an intern, he was the he was the director. He was my boss. And, you know. Once I left Missouri State, he eventually left Missouri State. And we didn't talk for a number of years, but we still had that relationship. So it's vitally important that you connect with the people that you work with because you never know who's, who knows who. Um, uh, but uh, let's see here. Um, sorry. For those of you who are listening, I'm doing Instagram stuff at the same time. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that answers your question. Um, at the lower levels, you know, as like internship positions, GA positions, like GA positions are still hard to come by, you know, because everybody wants to be a GA because everybody wants to be a strength coach. You know, internships are easy to get in my opinion, because they're free labor. Like all you have to do is walk in and be like, hi, my name is Jim. And I would like to volunteer my time to your program so that I can learn. And, you know, I know that if somebody walked into my weight room and did that, I'd be like, yeah, okay, fine. Like be here at five 30 tomorrow morning. And we'll see if you can handle it, you know. But, like, I'm always going to take free help, you know. So, so yeah. Um, What in the world was I talking about? Uh, So, yeah. So, you do your GA. And then you start looking for jobs because you're going to need one. And apply to everywhere. And, oh, that's what I was talking about is when I got rejected. So, I interviewed for this job. And it came down to me and one other candidate. And so we did two rounds of interviews and I thought I, I thought I interviewed really, really well. I thought I answered all their questions. Right. And I thought I made a really good impression and maybe I did. And that's where you can't take it personal. It's like, maybe you did a fantastic job interviewing. Maybe you, maybe you were a really good fit for the job, but they found somebody else who was just a great fit, you know? And like, it's not like, you know, and the more I think about it, like I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I didn't, I didn't bumble the interview. I didn't, you know, fumble my way through it. Like I answered their questions. I was prepared. I knew, I knew information about the university and about their staff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, but the person they went with, I think, was just more qualified at the end of the day. Like had a couple of extra certifications that I didn't have and, you know, was just, was just more qualified on paper. And so, so you can't take it personal when that stuff happens. Because, but it's really hard not to. It's really hard to not not take that personally because like you put so much time and effort into preparing for these interviews. You know, like when you're getting ready for an interview like you, you know, do your research, learn about the program, learn who the staff is, learn the AD, the sport coaches, how long the sport like take, take copious and exhaustive notes. You know, because you never know what they're going to ask. They may ask some off-the-wall, oddball question that has absolutely nothing to do with strength and conditioning, but has something to do with their university and their athletic department. And what they're trying to see is that if you've done your homework, and if you haven't, you know, that's going to be a strike against you because someone else probably did do their homework. So be as exhaustive and as deep delving as possible. Like any little bit of information that you may think is important, write that shit down, make a note of it. You know, keep that shit in a notebook or on your phone or something that you know you can access quickly if they ask you a question, you know? Unless you're doing like a face to face interview and then you gotta kinda try to like memorize that shit. Um But yeah, I took it really personal when I you know, I got an email. I didn't even get a fucking phone call. And that's what killed me is I didn't even get a phone call. Like I'd done two interviews with these people, two like Skype interviews, you know, and a phone call, and I get an email saying, dear Jim, thank you. We appreciate your time, but we've gone a different direction. And like super professional, you know, like you know, like from a professional perspective, they did absolutely nothing wrong, but I took it very personally, and it hurt, and it made me angry, you know. And I eventually got over it, um, you know, but you just got to move on. You got to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying because eventually, you know, maybe not like I, I fought for like a year to get this job. You know, I struggled and fought and clawed and I worked minimum wage bullshit temp jobs, temp labor jobs just to get by. I lived in a weekly rental, some shithole of a house with weird ass fucking roommates who I literally, and I'm not exaggerating this, thought were going to kill me in my sleep. Like, I'm not, I'm not being ridiculous here. And, um... You know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, and like you hear stories about strength coaches sleeping in their offices or sleeping in the locker rooms or sleeping in their fucking car because they don't have a place, but they but they get a chance. They get a job and they take it. So you got to do what you got to do. And then when you finally land that job, that first job, like do everything you can to, you know, make a good impression with your boss like, don't be a fucking ass kisser and a yes man and all that kind of shit. Like, you know, be professional and be smart about what you do. But, like, apply yourself 100% in everything you do. Make make yourself invaluable and indispensable. And get to know your kids. Like, that's that's such a huge part, I think, of strength and conditioning coaching that gets left out. Like, people, people talk about, you know, oh, you got to do your internship and then you do a GA and then you get a job and you know, you need these certifications and you need, you need this degree and blah, blah, fucking blah. But what gets left out is that you need to be able to communicate with people. You need to be able to communicate with the people you work with and the kids that you have training, because if you cannot make a relationship with the kids that you are coaching, you're going to fail. You can be the best strength coach in the world. You could be, I mean, I don't even want to, you know, I don't want to start throwing names out there, but you could be the best strength coach in the fucking game. You know, from a, a paper perspective, from a book perspective and from a knowledge perspective. But if you can't apply your apply that knowledge to your population, if you don't know who your kids are, you're fucking failing and you're done. And, and that, so that's super important that you learn how to communicate and you learn who your kids are. Like, you know, it's one thing I think to like, obviously, you have to develop good relationships with your fellow staff. Like... You know, I think that my boss and the GA that we have, like, I think we have great relationships. Are they perfect? No. Do we still have issues? Absolutely. But that's just part and parcel to working with other human beings, you know? But, like, as important as it is to develop strong, you know, professional and interpersonal relationships with the people you work with, I think it's even more important to develop, you know, professional relationships with the kids that you have because they're the ones who are going to. Basically make or break your job in my opinion Like if the kids like you They're going to tell the coaches that they like you The coaches are going to tell the athletic directors that they like you And that the kids like you And then you're going to be held in favor In you know the AD's eyes If the kids don't like you The coaches probably won't like you And then the coaches are going to bitch about you To the athletic directors And then your ass is going to be in the hot seat And you're going to have to worry about Losing your job on a constant basis So, so apply yourself in every way you can, you know, learn who your kids are, learn what makes them tick. You know, like I have kids, you know, who I know, like who I know that I can talk to a certain way. And I have other kids that I know I have to speak to in a very different way. You know, some kids, like I'm not the kind of coach that like gets in your face and yells at you and screams at you. Like I'll get loud, you know, especially when I'm trying to like pump you up, like I'll get loud and I'll get intense, you know, but I'm not going to get like face to face with you and, you know, nose to nose and scream at you. You know, but like I know that some kids respond to a little more intensity when it comes to being coached, whereas I know that some kids, you know, both male and female um, respond to a much more relaxed approach, you know, and so that's super important. I know I'm beating this to death and I'm going to keep doing it because I don't fucking care, but that's where knowing your people comes, comes in handy and becomes so important. And, you know, as when you get that first job, you know, make connections with your sport coaches. You know, you don't have to be a yes man and you don't have to bend over backwards and do everything that they ask, you know, but like don't be afraid to to give them a little bit more than you might think that you should. And what I mean by that is like they're going to ask for stuff because there's things that they want to see. There's things that they want done. And there's ways that they think their kids should be trained based on how their sport is played. And At the end of the day, the coach is the expert on the sport. And so I think it's really great to develop those relationships with coaches so that you can, you know, you can approach your coach and say like, "Hey, you know, I don't know how to play your sport. Like, tell me what your sport needs. Tell me what your athletes need." You know, so like, let's talk. So I have I have softball, baseball, women's soccer, swim, and the throwers, and then I have esports as well. I don't know shit about soccer like from a tactical and technical perspective. Like, I get it from an energy system perspective. I get it from, you know, a strength and conditioning perspective, you know. But when it comes to, like, you know, what does a soccer player need? Like, where do we need to be strong, you know? Like, what movements should we do or should we not do? You know, what are are things that we need to stay away from? Like, I don't, you know, not that I don't know that. But, like, don't be afraid to ask your coaches those questions and say, like, hey, what do your kids need you're the ones that see them every single day you're the ones that see them on the field you're the ones that see them in competition and in practice and you're the ones who evaluate their performance so you tell me what they need and then it becomes this like give and take it becomes this compromise between well this is what i want as a strength coach and this is what you want as a sport coach and so how can we find middle ground and when you're in that first year job like maybe you give them a little more ground than you might might otherwise want to like give them a little bit more so that they feel comfortable and they feel good about what you're doing because they don't know you. The kids don't know you, you know, you're coming into this as the new guy and you know, you have to really establish yourself. Uh, How many people can a soccer player kill with their legs on average per year? Uh, That's another fantastic Instagram Q and a question. And I would say all of them, Um, all of the people per year on average. Um, at least 13, maybe more, but yeah. So don't be afraid to establish relationships with your coaches and then get to know your administration as well, because I feel like there's this really big disconnect between, between the administration and strength coaches, because so often literally like from a a literal perspective, like they don't even work in the same building or they don't even work on the same floor. So like with us, my weight room is in the basement. Let's see here. Here's another question. Is high school strength coaching a good place to start or should you immediately try and try to find a college internship? I imagine that's what you're asking, Aiden. Um, I would say it depends on what you want to do. If you want to be if you want to be involved in high school, go right to high school. If you know you want to do collegiate strength and conditioning, then I would try to find a college internship. If you're undecided, and you can get a job in the high school field, um, then maybe go for it. You know, the only caveat to that is that if you end up as a high school strength conditioning coach, don't be surprised if you have to teach as well. So you may not be able to get a job unless you have a teaching certificate or a teaching degree. Um, you know, there are plenty of like dedicated high school strength and conditioning coaches out there. You know, especially like down in Texas, I would think. You know, where um, you know floor or where football, where football's big. big. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, again, it just depends on what you want to do. So, hopefully, that answers your question. Here's another one. Uh, what's a good way to give lifting advice to people who never listen to you but still ask for your advice? Oh, boy. Um, I deal with that on a daily basis with my athletes. I mean, I, I 100% understand where you're coming from with this because, like, my job as a strength and conditioning coach is to teach these kids how to lift. And while I'm not necessarily concerned with them, like, being fantastic lifters, like they have to be proficient, you know, at least proficient enough to not hurt themselves. And so I think, I think the best way that you can do it is try to find, try to find another way of giving that information out. Um, You know, so like if, if you use, it's like, so think about this, like if, if somebody gives you a cue when it comes to benching, it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe somebody else gives you a different cue and that makes sense to you. You know, so it's just the same thing you got to do with these lifters or with these kids is like, you know, okay, I told so and so to sit their butt back, but they didn't do that because they don't understand what I mean. All right. Maybe I tell them to push their hips back and open their knees first. You know, so it's just finding little ways to communicate in a slightly different fashion because we all we all communicate and learn differently. You know, some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners and some people are tactile. You know, they have to be shown what they have to feel what to do you know so you've got to find different ways of communicating with people and that's one aspect of being a strength and conditioning coach again that's the communication is that is so vital is you know learning how to communicate these cues cuz like i can tell i can tell a lifter you know chest up hips back knees out and like they're going to probably understand that or like i could tell i could tell here's a good one i can tell a lifter root into the floor when you're squatting and they're probably going to get what i mean by that if you tell you know a diver you know, root into the floor with your feet, they're not going to know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, so I tell the kids, you know, instead of rooting into the floor, I tell them grab the floor with your toes. You know, so it's just finding different cues. It's finding different little ways of communicating the same thing just in a different way so it's more approachable and more understandable and more digestible to that population. Um, but again, don't be afraid to, you know, give your sport coaches a little more ground and develop relationships and develop relationships with your ADs. That's where I was going with that development, develop relationships with your administration and not that you have to be buddy, buddy, because, you know, at the end of the day, administration is probably going to hold you at an arm's length because they're going to be the ones who determine whether you not, whether or not you keep your job. And it's really hard to fire somebody who you like. You know, it's really hard to not renew a contract of somebody you like. So they're probably going to keep you at a, you know, a professional at a, you know, at a a courteous distance, you know, they're still gonna be nice and professional and kind, you know, but they're going to hold you at a distance. Um, But where I was going with that is that literally, like, so in my, at at Oakland, um, our weight room is in the basement of the building and the athletic offices, the administrative offices are on the third floor. So like. We never see each other unless one of us goes out of our way to go upstairs or come downstairs, depending on your perspective. But I think it's really important that you develop those relationships because so often there's this disconnect. Like strength coaches, I think, are really misunderstood. Like a lot of especially administrators just have no idea. And it's not their fault. They just have, you know, they're just concerned about other things. Um, You know, they just have no idea what strength coaches do, like literally no idea what happens down in the weight room. And I think it's really important that from you know from a job security perspective that strength conditioning coaches like educate their administrators on what happens because it's really easy I think to boil down strength conditioning to just lifting weights, like picking shit up and putting it back down like yes, at the end of the day, that is the absolute core of what we do. We pick things up and we put them down, but there's so much more to it than that like there's there's science and there's methodology and there's philosophy and procedure and protocol behind everything that we do, and you know you gotta. There's so much more nuance to it. And a lot of admins don't see that because they don't have experience in strength conditioning. You know, and that's not their fault. You know, like I have, to be honest with you guys, I have no desire to be an administrator in any way, shape, or form. Like I don't, not that I don't care what goes on upstairs, but, you know, I just, I just don't care. You know, I should care, and I should have an idea of what happens. You know, but it's just, it sounds boring to me. And it sounds absolutely just like something I have zero desire to be a part of. And so when an administrator doesn't want to come downstairs and see what we do, I don't blame them, you know, but I still want to try to, you know, reach out and invite them down and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, so I think it's really important to develop relationships. Here's another question. Is the internship to GA Path the only way to become a collegiate strength and conditioning coach? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's the only way. Um, You know, so you could... I think there's another, there's another way you could go about it, and you could do, like, so you asked about, you already asked about being a high school strength coach. So if you're a high school strength coach and you have your CSCS or your CSCCA, you know, or whatever certifications you need, like, from a certification perspective, that qualifies you for a collegiate job. Now, some, some universities require that you have, you know, at minimum a bachelor's degree, but most people require that you have a master's degree to get a full-time job. But so you could either transition from high school to college. If you get some experience in the high school realm, you say, OK, like I've done my time, like, you know, college is where I really want to be. And so then you start putting yourself out there. You know, you start reaching out, you start applying, you start making connections, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think another way to go about it is by doing like private sports performance. So a lot of not a lot, but I would say there are a handful or a number of coaches, strength conditioning coaches who started off in the in the private field. You know, whether it's like they own their own spot or whether they work for, you know, I wouldn't say like a personal trainer because like, you know, most personal trainers are not from a qualification perspective certified or qualified highly enough to be a strength and conditioning coach. You know, like your your NASM or your ACSM certification is not going to get you in the door as a at the collegiate level, you know, but if you get your CSCS or your CSCCA, you know, and you have you got some education behind you and you got some time in the private sector. Like, you know, you could you could very well make a case for yourself to to get a job at the collegiate level. You know, I think the intern to GA to full time full time pathway is kind of the way that a lot of people go because it exposes you to more people within the industry and within the field. You know, especially if you do your internship at one school and then you do do your GA at another school and maybe do another GA, you know, or do another like volunteer coaching position, which happens sometimes. Um A lot of people go that route Just because it's the most It's the most streamlined Um, It's the most straightforward But it's not In my opinion The only way to do it And like that's That's a conversation we had With our GA the other day Like You know He's kind of talked about Expressing interest in um, Working in the football field And Oakland My university Doesn't have football So we have We don't have anything to offer him from that perspective You know We told him that like You know Maybe Maybe you don't maybe you don't have as much experience in football, but that doesn't mean that you can't ever, that you can't ever get a job in football. You know, you can get a job in anything. You just have to know the right people or you have to be highly qualified enough, you know? And, and that's one, one thing I think is important is that like you make yourself stand out, like, you know, find your niche and find what makes you stand out because, you know, there's, there's a thousand dudes just like me, you know, who have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, their CSCS, like I am not special. You know, I run conjugate, you know, I don't know how many other strength coaches around the nation run conjugate. Like, it's not like it's like, it's not like I'm the only one by any means. But what I'm trying to get at is that like, you know, the only thing that got me in the door was knowing, knowing my boss from a previous job and like getting in good with him and like doing a good job for him. So he knew that I, he knew that I worked hard and he knew that I was smart and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but if I didn't know him, I don't know if I would have gotten the job, you know, cause like I didn't stand in my opinion, I didn't stand out. And you have to try. To, you have to try to stand out. So again, is it the only way? No. Is it probably the most straightforward and streamlined way? Yes. Um, but again, so I guess this full-time job. When you get your full-time job, you know, do everything you can. You know, get to know your kids. Make sure your programming is on point. You know, like take the extra time to make sure that you are prepared. You know, and. You know, you're still going to mess up. You're still going to make mistakes on your programming. Like you're still going to have to experiment a little bit, you know, but put a lot of put a lot of forethought into it because, you know, that that first year, you know, like from a, a formal perspective is a probationary year, you know, like that's what they told me when I signed on to Oakland is that my first year was probationary, you know, and then from there, like my contract was a little more safe, you know, a little more secure. But, you know, you still have to do a really good job that first year to make sure you're worth keeping around. You know, so make sure that your programming is on point. Make sure that your coaching is on point. Make sure that you're, you know, that you're at practices when you can be and that you're at games when you can be. You know, like put your face out there as much as you can you know, to be as involved as possible because the more involved you are and the more, the more that the kids see your face, the more they're going to connect with you. And the more they connect with you, the more they're going to talk about you to their coach and the more the coach is going to like you and want to connect with you and then want to keep you around. Because if the kids are happy, the coaches are happy. And if the coaches are happy, the kids are happy. And you know, if all those people are happy, then the administrators are happy. And when that happens, you're happy. How many more times can I say happy in one sentence? Um, let's see, what else? What else does it take to be a strength and conditioning coach? Dude, dude or dudette, either way, you gotta lift. You gotta you gotta do something. Like from a totally non formal, like informal perspective, like you have to lift. Because I'm not saying you have to be the strongest guy in the room or the strongest woman in the room, you know, or the biggest or the baddest. Like, you know, I have I have a thrower, a couple throwers who could probably not probably, but definitely outbench me. One, I'm a terrible bencher, but two, they're just stronger than I am. I out squat them, you know, even raw out squat them, you know, but like you don't have to be the strongest person in the room or the biggest person in the room. But you have to look like you know what you're doing, because because imagine this, like imagine somebody comes up to you in the gym and like it's clear that they don't lift you know, but they try to offer you advice. Like, you're probably not going to take that advice very seriously. You may take them at face value and say, okay, yes, I appreciate your input, but are you really going to, you know, take what they have to say to heart? And it's the same thing with, with athletes. You know, athletes can smell bullshit. They can detect bullshit. You know, they're not always the smartest, you know, but, but uh, you know, they can pick up on stuff pretty well. And so, like, you know, the fact that I'm a multiply powerlifter... And the fact that I can lift what I lift and have lifted what I've lifted, like that adds me oh, that uh you know, that adds a lot of a lot of uh weight to make to make a pun to what I have to say. You know, like when you tell a kid like yes, I've squatted a thousand pounds, like, you know, that gives you a lot of credence in their eyes. You know, it makes you more legitimate in their eyes. And it makes them have more faith in you, I think. You know, like if you don't If you don't work out, if you don't do something, you know, that the kids can relate to or that the kids can see, and I'm not saying like that you have to put everything on Instagram and that like the kids have to follow you and all that kind of stuff, like there has to be some demonstrable quality to you, you know, that like, you know, displays the fact that you do something with your body and with yourself, you know, because if you're asking the kids to do these movements and if you're asking the kids to do this hard work, but you're not willing to do it yourself, like one, that's bullshit. And two, the kids are going to pick it up, pick up on it real quick and they're not going to believe in you the way that they should. Um, let's see here What else does it take To be a strength and Conditioning coach uh, You're gonna have to Wake up fucking early Like Learn how to run On Very little sleep Lots of caffeine And A deep Seated Hatred for everything um, Yeah I think that's really important Is that you learn How to hate everything But not Show it to anybody um, But yeah You gotta be willing To work long hours Like Like my a normal day for me is 5.30 a.m. until 6 p.m. And, you know, we get breaks in there. You know, some days we're some days we're slammed. Some days we work a full 12 hours. Some days we don't work that many hours, but we're still at the office for 12 hours. And so it's long days and it's arduous and it's hard and you're tired, you know. Um, expect low pay for how much effort you put into your job. You know, for the amount of time that we spend programming And coaching, like, on the floor, the amount of time that we spend in meetings with athletes or with coaches or administrators or even just within the staff ourselves, you know, relative to, like, our yearly salary, like, you're always going to get paid less than your sport coaches. And you are going to be – learn to be okay with being replaceable. Now, like, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're just going to lose your job on a whim, but you have to understand the fact that even if you do a really good job, even if the kids like you, like, you can still be replaced. And you can be replaced quickly. Because like I said, the job market is saturated and there's a lot of people out there who are looking to be collegiate strength and conditioning coaches. And if a job opens up, you guarantee that somebody's applying for it. And I think what's most important, you know, all bullshit aside, and we'll kind of close with this, is that you have to love it. You have to love what you do because it's hard work. You know, it's hard dealing with people every single day. It's hard using the same like saying the same thing over and over and over. You know, to the same kids who aren't listening, um, so you have to. Ah, shit! Sorry, my phone just fell. Um, another Instagram question coming in. What do you find most of your new athletes lack that could have been developed in high school? Uh, general lifting technique and maximal strength. Um, I think there's a lot of strength, like high school strength coaches out there that are probably not qualified to be strength coaches, like whether they're football coaches who lifted in college or, you know, they're just a a dad who, you know, volunteers or whatever. Um, You got to teach. There's a lot of teaching that goes on with new athletes, especially like your non, especially, especially with your sports that are non, not traditionally linked with, um, with lifting so like football okay so football is a pretty good example because a lot of football players lift not every football player lifts but a lot of football players lift whereas like swimmers i have some freshman swimmers who have never touched a barbell in their life and that's okay you know that's what my job is my job is to teach them how to lift and get them stronger and more powerful and all that kind of stuff um (laughs) You know, but it would make my job a lot easier if these kids came in with at least a basic understanding of how to, like, squat and bench press and deadlift. You know, and if you run an Olympic program, you know, then, like, how to clean and snatch. You know, or, or at the very, at the very very base, how to jump. Like, teaching a kid how to jump is just teaching an athlete, a Division One athlete, how to jump is disheartening, you know. And also, a lot of kids are very weak. And... And again, that's okay. Like, it's not their fault, you know. Um, but swimming, lift on land to make wakes. There you go. Um, but yeah, they're very weak, and you know, so like, you have to you have to be willing as a coach to like take your time with your programming to develop these this maximal strength. You know, whether you like run a conjugate program and you run you know like max effort, dynamic effort days. Like, if a kid is weak in general, like they're not gonna be able to move fast, they're not gonna be able to run fast, jump high, throw far. So, so yeah, lifting technique and maximal strength, I think are the two big things that I've, um, that I've seen that could be better improved or more improved when it comes to high school to college transition. But, uh, but yeah, you gotta love this. You gotta love this job because it's hard work and it's long hours and it's shitty pay and it can be really, really frustrating, you know, but I love what I do a hundred percent. I absolutely love what I do and I cannot fathom ever doing anything else in my life and there may come a time where i have to there may absolutely come a time where i have to do something else and when that time comes like we'll cross that bridge but where i'm at right now like i love what i do and i i don't ever see myself doing anything different so i think that's the most important part is that you have to love it because if you get to the point where you hate it it's time to get out so anyway we are almost right at an hour So I've rambled enough. Um, Thank you for those of you who tuned in to the Instagram Live. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking questions. Um, We'll get this up on Spotify and other listening platforms ASAP. And as always, do not waste the pain.